boom, here we are, uh, back in the studio, Team Early AF podcast, um, create, create Portage County is the studio, just in case you were wondering, where we record these, uh, these awesome, fun conversations, and this is the seasonal and fun tour, so we're uh, spring right now, we're uh, episode three of Turkey Hunting 101, where my friends... Kelly Van Beek and Peggy of Becoming an Outdoors Woman get down to the nitty gritty of talking with some new hunters about what to expect, uh, some things to know, uh, and then uh, we just have a good time setting them up for uh, turkey recon in the next couple weeks. So this is episode three. If you're just tuning in, I definitely recommend going back and checking out um the first two episodes. So the first episode, we break down what it is to be a mentor for a turkey hunt and a mentee, so a learner. Uh, what what we think are some of the finer points to go over. So expectations, having that conversation, getting to know each other, are the big ones, because uh, we want this series to be good for mentors and mentees. So hopefully, it helps kind of recreating what uh, learning to hunt looks like in. Uh, the world we find ourselves in today so hopefully it helps it's just the start as we go and grow and share these stories with each other you know there's been a lot of r3 talk in the outdoor space so uh, we want to reimagine what that looks like uh, and to grow it evolve it and so we can get the best people we can possibly find to further conversation about uh, conservation really and these outdoor traditions we we uh, cherish. So that's kind of the reason behind this. And episode three here, we just dive a little deeper and talk about uh, what to do before the hunt, the weeks leading up to it, in the field, with your shotgun, with your gear. We talk about the day before the hunt, day of the hunt, and then we dive a little bit into post-hunt, but we will definitely have a wrap-up series as well. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Please sponsor the our sponsors if you haven't uh schultze family beef right out of humburg wisconsin direct to your door meat boxes love 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 their products they're a uh, wisconsin dairy farm and beef cattle farm here right here in wisconsin pasture raised beef fourth generation farmers they're awesome great family love what they're doing for the land the animals and the people so check out schultze family beef they do uh monthly boxes custom boxes you can do a quarter a half shares where they ship it out to you at the interval of your choosing like i said it comes right to your door frozen cardboard box recyclable uh, insulation it's fantastic love what they're doing can't recommend them enough check it out Um, get your get your grillables on get your grillables sent to you so you can get your grill on in the spring also shout out to the patrons of this show on patreon appreciate it couldn't do it without you so if you want to send a couple bucks donate to the show sponsor all the overhead and what's going into this we appreciate it you can check that out at patreon team early af and then uh, finally if you're in the stevens point area you definitely need to check out the ruby cafe monthly meal box i know the the prepped ready to go or simple instruction meal prep boxes are pretty big right now i love it it's getting people in the kitchen Let's take it a step further and support local places doing the same thing. And they do 
uh, Ruby Cafe, ready to go meals once a month. So make sure you're checking those out. Uh, this last one for St. Patty's Day was absolutely fantastic. It's sold out, so you got to keep an eye out for it. Get on the train early. Uh, they're great meals. They're, Kellen and his team are doing awesome stuff with local food, so check it out. And with that, here we go. On to the podcast. Okay, here we are. Turkey Turkey Hunting 101, Episode 3. Back with uh, the whole crew. We got Lena, Chef Mike, Kelly, Peggy here. We're going to go over actual hunt logistics today so what what does that mean what is what is it all what do we need to be doing before the hunt day before the hunt day of the hunt and if we're if we're successful or not successful what does that look like so kelly peggy my turkey hunting pros thanks for being here i told you i was not going to come under false pretenses not a pro but <laughs> peggy's our pro <laughs> I can bring lots of personal experience and anecdotes to the effort here. Excellent. I was Kelly, Sarah, and I were just talking about turkey hunting. This was our turkey calling competitions. And um, I just, the whole idea of it to me is hilarious that there are adults in a room deciding who sounds more like a turkey. Um, I, I don't know. It's just that weird. And then the whole pro thing of hunting, right? Like we're talking about and we're kind of making light of. Uh, there's just something about a certain number of humans that they have to, we're, we're going to do something and then we're just going to compete at it. We have to compete at it. There has to be a competition. There has to be the trophies, the ribbons, the the whole, um, the whole thing of it. It's like when I go to dog training groups and I start making fun of people, how they're just as crazy and weird as uh sport parents who bring their kids everywhere for trophies and ribbons uh and i'm just they're they're like well if you're gonna if you're gonna run your dog for a competition like nope just here to have fun train for hunting uh well while you're doing your weird awkward competition on the weekend i'll be like hiking and enjoying my life somewhere <laughs> the so. owners also take the competition to the next level and that they do the whole s slam stuff <laughs> You know, Lee and I'm expecting you to laugh at that. Uh, but they, you know, they do something called a grand slam, which means that they get all the subspecies of turkeys in the in the um, in North America or and or the continental U.S. And then some of them even do what they call a super slam, which is they shoot or harvest a turkey in every state in the U.S. that has one, which is 49 states. So. And then you can get like your name on the website and probably a handy dandy certificate or something like that. So competition on the next level for turkey hunters. Is the slam. <laughs> the slam. Nice. Noted, recorded for future future consideration. Can you, I just want all of you to picture me slamming. Just picture that, how that would go. Like, I feel like the anti-slammer. <laughs> Well, Lena, I think you're not alone in um, not wanting to be a slammer in the turkey world of women turkey hunters early on in, in the early years of becoming an outdoors woman, which started in 1991. Um, we did 
real research for preferences for how women learn. And one of the big shining things is women are not interested in competition. So if you're going to go out and shoot clay pigeons, it's not who gets the most. It's if somebody's struggling and they've shot 20 times and on the 21st clay, they finally break that clay. All the other women who are lined up go, woo, because it's not competitive, it's supportive. And that's how most adult women really prefer to learn. Yeah. I love that. You're speaking my language, Peggy. I'm just picturing. So I was with Peggy learning to pheasant hunt and I have glasses on and I couldn't see through the glasses and I'm like trying to do the whole gun thing. It's just like oh, my whole body's exploding because every all this new data and trying to make it do new things. And I broke my glasses. So I just I stuck with it. I threw the glasses on the ground and kept for and and Peggy and Kelly were like, they checked in with me later. Kelly's like, you okay? <laughs> Yeah, I broke my glasses. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Focus. <laughs> Trying to do something here. It's just, but the, so I'll just say that I, this point of this whole story is I experienced that support and it was very, very good. Very good. So thank awesome. you. Peyton. Oh, my pleasure. You're um, teaching adult women is just a joy. And I teach children and I teach young adult men as well. And I love all of it, but that there's something really special about the bond of um, being with a group of beginner women. And we also have lots of men who are helpers with those programs. Like we had, you know, Lena, you might remember Daryl and John at that pheasant hunt. They're chosen because they're super supportive in the same way that the female instructors are. You should though hear some of the Peggy. I'd love to get you in on some of the conversations I'm having with my girlfriends, like, um, you know, getting text messages like <laughs> about, so let me see, telling them about the turkey calling and then people are like, so let me see, You're, he is training you, meaning Bill, he is training you to call animals to their slaughter. <laughs> Friends who've done mental health check-ins. So I just think it's really interesting. Uh, so how much bias there is against this? Like, as I do this awkwardly and out loud in front of other people, like I was thinking about somebody that um, several of us know who work at the same place Mike does. And she made a post the other day about like just the beauty of everything and, and, it just was, it was gorgeous. And I almost sent it to Bill and said, this is who you should be training to be a hunter. <laughs> so awkward. I don't, this, like this whole process is very awkward. So anyway, I'll stop talking now, but um, so maybe that's why the support is necessary. I have no doubt it would be awkward for me if I hadn't been doing it since I was a kid. I, when I talk to my sisters about it now, I have three sisters, none of them hunt. And when I talk to them about it now, they would send me the same text messages that you just got. Like, how, why you're doing what and why? And I'm, yeah, I would think it feels very unnatural and, and awkward for them too. Um, so his husband um, sent me a message through his wife. Um, ask her if she intends to eat the birds. <laughs> This is so weird. So I'll say that um, some of the 
college age males who come through hunter education and did not grow up in a hunting family and really want to get involved but had no other opportunity um they can feel the same way as the women do like they they're they don't have that family or social support um other than you know the the other college students around them who actually do hunt but that can be a challenge too for uh young adult male who is surrounded by all these other guys who have been doing this their whole life and you know to try to step up and keep up with those people and avoid that competition that happens so mm. at all the different stages that different people enter this there are barriers and challenges but i think that's what you know people like bill and kelly and i are trying to help out with to remove those barriers no matter who you are Mike, do you get awkward? Is it just me? Um, I mean, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't get awkward. You're nice. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> I, I didn't grow up hunting either. Um, so it, pretty much all my friends did, and I just didn't grow up around it as well. So it's, it's a new experience, and I like to be outside, so that's part of why I want to do it and harvesting um, some yeah. some stuff for the freezer would yeah. be very nice. And 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 donating to habitat management like we learned in the last episode. Yes, donations. <laughs> <laughs> I'll continue my donations for sure. Uh, all right, with that, let's get on to some turkey hunting logistics. Kelly where how far what is week one three weeks away oh yes i was just counting down the weekends i have left till turkey season madness starts and uh the first season starts the 21st man that's late for it is and but then and then the youth season's what the weekend before that or yeah. two weekends before that or something like that before, i think might be two yeah we're coming up on it real fast. I don't know if you guys have been seeing any birds out um, strutting their stuff, Lena. The toms have been, I have seen more and more every day that are out looking looking real fancy. Uh, and they're pretty grouped up yet. So they're all, um, the toms are with the hens and these really large groups of birds in the flock mm -hmm. yet uh, is what I'm seeing. So not a lot of maybe seeking of the hens where the toms and the hens are separated out across the landscape they're still all kind of grouped together sort of in their winter groups their winter flock units um but as especially as we get really warm here over the weekend um you're going to start to see some of that some of the quote breakup happening where those birds really start to go their separate ways cool yeah that's what mostly what we've seen here as well, Kelly. I've Django's flushed a couple small flocks in the woods, and then uh, out in the open spaces, we're seeing still close to double-digit turkey flocks roaming, and yeah, hens, jakes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen any any strutting yet. I'm trying to think, um, we're gonna get out today, do a little bit more scouting, and then uh, the next. Yeah, have couple... you have you guys taken out Lena and Mike to do any scout in-person scouting yet or that'll be starting next week. We'll 
I'm going to reach out to Peggy and the two of them, see when we can get out. So we'll be switching from podcast studio learning to getting out in the field. Peggy walking us around, boots on the ground style learning. Um, Lena and I did get out. So where the where the gym is, there is a nearby – it's like – it's kind of like the weird tension zone bef- between uh, urban growth and what used to be farm slash woodlands. So – the industrial park butts up. There's still uh, wooded small little parcels interspersed between the remaining egg fields that haven't been uh, cleared for development yet. It's, it's well on the way. Um, but we were able to do a little, do a little workout and then uh, go scout for some turkeys uh, and practice glassing, using the binos, calling. It was super windy that day, so you couldn't hear much of anything, but... I'm I'm looking forward to hearing Lena's version of our our little mini outing. Spotted some turkey tires. That was the highlight of the trip for me. <laughs> so I like I, I have vision and then I'm seeing through these little glasses. Like everything's awkward. I'm seeing through these little glasses and then they're fogging up. And so I see these two things, these two brown things that could be turkeys. They're roundish in shape. And I'm like, Bill. And he's like, really? <laughs> It's like, nope, those are tires, babe. He didn't say babe. I just felt that. (laughs) I just felt that. Like, oh, good. Dumbass demos. I'm doing those today. No, hey, it was great. (laughs) I I told you to look for shapes, anything moving out in the field, and you did. Uh, Lena, (laughs) Lena, you know how many times I have mistaken tires, black garbage bags, crows like any any number of things for turkeys it is very common we did find a what did we find what was what was creeping through the field there was a sandhill crane out there yeah crane creeping through the field so we did find a bird that was exciting yep bill has longer legs than me i'm very worried about that for when we go really hunting (laughs) turkey turkey hunting slow We'll, we'll be doing lots of calling stopping um it's not it's not I don't I'm not allowed to just roam the woods during turkey season like I normally do. Um, Mike, do you worry about anything? Like like I'm I'm I won't say I'm constantly worried, but my like a whole part of my brain has been assigned to thinking about turkey things. Like it's carving out a whole new space. <laughs> like, any of that happening to you, you're just like Mr. Cool. Uh yeah, pretty cool about it. <laughs> um, not not really worried too much about any of yeah. it. Um, gun safety is always yeah a big thought in my mind when went out with hunters. Bill picked. He got two ends of the pole here. I think Peggy said it on our first episode, so much of this will make so much more sense when you're out there doing it, and especially once you get into that first hunt. I mean, I've, I'm probably not a very good mentor when I took my brother-in-law out turkey hunting for the first time. I was just like, all right, show up here, and <laughs> we're going to go. And I, I mean, we had talked a little bit about gun safety before then, and he was familiar with firearms, but we didn't talk a lot about how we were going to hunt until we were out in the field doing it, for better or worse. Um, and he just took took it like a champ, took it as it came and soaked it all in and sort of let me 
dictate however we were going to do it. And I tried to be, I mean, I didn't necessarily hunt the same way that I would hunt if I was doing it on my own. Um, I probably wasn't as aggressive with him. And uh, I think the first few times we took, a, we took a blind along just so that he could be a little bit more relaxed and feel like he could move around and stuff. Um, so I guess my tip for a mentor would be to keep that in mind too. Uh, you know, if you've got somebody brand new, take a step back maybe from what your tactics might, might be uh, depending on what your style is to begin with and make sure that they're comfortable every step of the way. I mean, every, every time we did do something in the field, every time I did something with Matt, I would try to explain why we're doing it. Um, why, why I'm choosing this strategy versus this strategy uh, and just taking it probably a little bit slower, flying a little bit less by the seat of my pants than <laughs> with him than I normally would. But, by, but when he did finally get his bird, we were doing a classic quote, run and gun, Lena, where we had spotted a bird and made a pretty aggressive move towards that bird while calling. And then everything happened real fast. Like all of a sudden the bird was coming in. And so, but he was ready for it. We had been doing a couple of days of hunting and I was like, are you comfortable hunting this way? Like we're going to make a pretty aggressive move on this bird. And, and he was, so um, that was super fun to see him like get a lot of confidence in a pretty short amount of time to, um, to do a pretty aggressive style of turkey hunting. So again, I think it'll make so much more sense when you're out there and enjoying that spring weather and morning and, and talking to, Peggy or Bill, whoever, whoever you're with and seeing how everything plays out in real time. Thank you. This yeah. is how my brain works. Like I'm so nervous. I'm just going to say that my, I'm so nervous that you're like, you turn to him. You're like, are you ready to make an aggressive move? My brain thinks hunting talk is a lot like bar talk. <laughs> but I know that's, so I know that's about nervousness, right? That I'm like making all these strange connections in my brain and wanting to laugh a lot. So um, well, here's what I've told myself. I'm looking forward to being outside. And so then Bill asked me about the whole blind thing, right? And he's like, do you have a chair? Now I'm, I'm already awkward. And now I'm going to have the call bag on me. And then I'm thinking about hauling an armchair out for a blind. So I, Every question, every thought creates this like little bit of an internal sarcastic giggle effect. And so I just keep soothing myself with, you're gonna be outside and you love that. You're gonna be outside, you love that. So that's kind of been my, that's probably Mike starts there without having to say it out loud or say it to himself. Our, our training for the next few weeks, Lena, is gonna be fantastic. I'm gonna have you loaded down with a, a blind, the call bag. I'm 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 getting like a ridiculous amount of decoys put in a bag, so you have to carry that as well. <laughs> You're going like just full full turkey hunter. That's great. Nope. I already had two things on me. I oh wait, can you t tell them how joyful I was when you put the other pack on me? I, when we were going for the walk, I'm like, well, I don't want to carry this, so I strapped my bino harness to her the the call bag i didn't have the blind with that time but i was told her next workout we're i'm making her carry the turkey blind as well do you remember what the highlight was for me though oh yes yes so <laughs> i put the, i strapped the bino harness on her and she's like what's this for i'm like well professionals will tell you binoculars blah, blah calls i'm like i use it primarily for snacks and then we had a, we, had, we had a very we had good a bonding experience. moment <laughs> <laughs> and then I broke down the little pockets 
by snack size, like what what each pocket was for, be it the the little Halloween snack size, full size candy bars, what you wanted to put further away <laughs> from your season, body. Those preseason prep. Here's the snack pockets. Here's the size of the snack that fits in <laughs> this pocket. Well, and and you have to think about relation to your body. So you want anything that would melt to be further away <laughs> on the pack, and anything that you want to keep like if it's colder and you want to keep it a little warmer so you don't break your teeth on it that needs to be near your body um so for everyone listening those are my turkey hunting logistics i think there's a children's book here (laughs) i will say lena too for and for any other mentors that are that are listening out there one thing that i try to do or assess right away too is and realize is that people who are new to firearms and hunting are generally so much more uncomfortable with carrying a firearm than you are. So I might carry my firearm and my blind and my decoy bag and all the things and just like go trucking through the woods. And usually I just have that person concentrate on carrying their firearm safely and I carry everything. And if they want to add a chair, they want to carry one of the decoys, cool. But like, I want them to feel comfortable carrying their firearm first and foremost, because we might be going through thick, you know, thicker stuff or, stuff that they could trip over and I you know I I want them to be as comfortable as possible and it's okay to feel a little bit I don't maybe nervous isn't the right word but be aware that you do have a firearm um on on your person and that you um I totally respect being going at the pace that whatever the the person who's new to the firearm wants to do in order to feel safe and comfortable Yeah, I guess I would add that when we do go out scouting that you uh, wear what you think you're going to wear. Maybe you talked about that already um, so that you're sure that whatever you're planning on hunting in, that you your your boots are right for you, the, the clothes are going to fit comfortably. Um, and, you know, that takes a little bit of adjustment as the weather changes and everything, but to... Yeah have on also when you go to the shooting range you know wear what you think you're going to be wearing when you're hunting so that you've got bulky clothes on you're not trying to get the gun up and adjust to something that's um not comfortable for you yeah that's great so peggy brought up another preseason prep event uh, which is potentially going to the shooting range and doing something that we call patterning your shotgun so taking the shotgun that you're going to use when you hunt using the same load, potentially that you would use the load, the shotgun load that you're going to use to hunt the turkeys with and firing it downrange to see what the pattern of that shot looks like when you fire Mm. it downrange with the idea being that you want so many pellets or BBs from that shotgun shell to be in the vital zone of that Turkey. So in the head and neck area. Um, And that's what you do when you go, when we say going to pattern, your shotgun preseason, you want to make sure that that pattern looks like it will at the range that you think you're going to shoot at, whether that's 20 yards, 30 yards, 25 yards, that whatever your shotgun, however your shotgun is sort of working with the type of shotgun load that you're using is going to be effective at with um, effective at lethally uh, killing that bird. So um, an important part of the preseason that I still do every year. I mean, I've been using the same shotgun my whole entire <laughs> my entire hunting life uh, for turkeys, but I still get it out every spring and pattern it, make sure everything is looking good. And some, and especially if I'm 
surely if I'm changing up a turkey load, I've been moving to all non-toxic and for pretty much all the hunting that I do, regardless of the species. And so I have some new loads that I want to try this year and a new choke in my shotgun. Um, I don't know, Lena and Mike, if, if you're familiar with what, what I'm talking about when we say a shotgun choke, potentially something that you screw into the end of your shotgun barrel that can help compress that shotgun pattern down. And so for turkey hunting, we're usually using something that's fairly tight because you want that shotgun pattern to be pretty tight um, downrange and give you the most BBs in a small area as you can. So I'm also trying a new turkey choke this year in my shotgun setup that I haven't tried before in addition to a new load. So there could be a little bit of an experimentation that happens. I might maybe to go to a different choke if I wanna keep using this particular load. Um, so it can get a little bit overwhelming. I totally understand for a new hunter, uh, but keep it simple. I think at first, you know, if you get, if you get a reasonably good looking pattern, um, meaning you get, you know, a pretty good amount of BBs in the head and neck area that your mentor feels comfortable with, just leave it at that and don't try to finesse it anymore. If you talk to some of these other turkey hunters that are real into shotgun patterning, man, they will fire so many loads downrange and play with their choke and their shotgun load and just like try to get this perfect <laughs> setup that I don't, I don't, I don't go for. And I wouldn't recommend to try for a new hunter. Just get, keep it simple, um, get something pretty effective and, and go with that. And don't, don't think too much more about it after the fact. Peggy, I understood those terms because <laughs> I've been the class of awesome. Peggy. <laughs> you've, got some, you've got some handouts that we provided at that. I know, I was seeing them. Yeah, good. So yeah, I totally agree with Kelly. Um, turkey loads pack a bit of a punch. And if you're gonna go out to the shooting range and like try to do even 10 cycles through, you're gonna be sore and then you're you're potentially not going to want to pull the trigger when the turkey is standing in front of you mm. because remembering what that felt like so um what i do for brand new shooters is we just shoot some target loads at paper just to get comfortable shooting and you know i i use the the turkey targets targets that have a turkey silhouette printed on them so people can get used to their um how they need to mount the gun and be able to see down the barrel correctly and get that shot at least going in the right spot. And then after a few of those lighter just target loads, then we would transition to try to figure out the pattern for the actual turkey loads that you use so that you don't beat yourself up because I like to say that suffering is optional. <laughs> there are people out there who are like hardcore, got to have a 12 gauge, three and a half inch shell, super turkey load. Um, even for, you know, a, a robust person, those can knock you out and make you feel like not shooting, not literally knock you out, but there, there's some pain involved and you don't need that to successfully harvest a turkey. Mic drop. So Peggy, we, we, uh, sat down with Sarah, um, the biologist from Columbia County last week. We talked about habitat, so Mike and Lena, we, they were exposed to uh, where the turkeys roost, what they're doing, and the different habitat types. Uh, so we, we'll definitely be reviewing that as we go through this. So, and we touched on uh, range works, uh, patterning air shotguns. 
Peggy, what what should what are we going to be doing over the next couple of weeks leading into season with the new hunters? What, um, yeah, that's my question. Um, well, I think we should try to get to the shooting range like next week early on and do that maybe even a couple of times. Um, I think we should definitely do boots on the ground in the areas that you've lined up for people to hunt. Um, I think we need to, you know, look at clothing and comfort, talk even more about expectations like we did the first time. So, you know, uh, I take it that you and Lena have already talked about hunting from a blind and having a chair. And I think that's a really good plan for beginner hunters. Some people, and Mike might feel like this, you might want to um, keep open the option of not having a pop-up blind. Um, you know, maybe you're going to take downed wood uh, from the forest floor and pile that around a tree to make somewhat of a blind for yourself. And then you would have a really big wide tree, preferably as wide as your shoulders behind your back, and then have that natural blind in front of you. And you can hunt that way too. It's a little harder, especially if you don't um, if you feel like you're not going to be able to sit still. Um, wind is going to be more of a factor but you have all this peripheral vision so that you can see the red squirrels and the crows and those other critters who are trying to mess up your turkey hunt and um you know you just get to see a little more both ways are perfectly wonderful it just depends on what you want to do oftentimes i'll start out in a blind with new hunters and then when we start getting antsy if nothing's happening i'll say hey you want to take a walk we might do a run and gun like um, Kelly yeah. just so. I like it. Uh, Peggy, when we're doing boots on the ground, uh, should we also, you, you meant, had mentioned clothing, uh, should we bring the, the blind decoys, that kind of stuff too, practice? We could, we could even practice these different scenarios uh, when we're scouting. Yeah, uh, so I always find that even though I try to have a really good plan and super good communication, once you get there, you got to be a little flexible because <coughs> things can change. Andy, shut up. <laughs> um, sorry about the dog. Uh, but it's good to go over all of those scenarios ahead of time so that at least you're aware that that might be something that would happen. Um, so... Yeah, just to know that those are all choices, opportunities, and also that as a new hunter, you have a say in all of that too. It might be that your mentor feels like, man, we really got to get over there right now and put this plan on this bird. And um, if you're not up to it and they're saying, let's go, 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 that's taking away the fun of it. So as a mentor, I always like to say, all right, here's one thing that we could do. But if you don't want to do that, here's the other option. And the other option might not uh, get you as close to a bird or get you a shooting opportunity, but you're still outside, right, Lena? You're still outside and learning. And, um, it, it, you know, maybe your goal isn't to knock down the biggest bird, and that's okay. Maybe you think your goal is to knock down the biggest bird, but once you get out there, you're like, yeah, 
I just want to kind of take this a little slower pace. So it's a fluid thing. Um, best laid plans of women turkey hunters and <laughs> mice and men, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to probably change depending on circumstances. I like it. Kelly, you got anything to add for uh, preseason scouting weeks? No. Uh, I think let's hop into uh, what some of the day before, day of the hunt kind of stuff looks like. Perfect. What does that look like, Kelly? <laughs> day before. Uh, I mean, once we get into the turkey season, my turkey stuff kind of never leaves my vehicle. <laughs> I feel like I'm always just always ready to go uh you know i've always got a variety of clothing in the vehicle um maybe my firearm comes in and out of the vehicle depending on where i'm going my decoys are in there um, but just making sure that i have all my calls my snacks water um you know all the and i try to bring uh you know a variety of gear to make sure that i can be comfortable no matter what happens so whether that's knee boots versus hiking boots um, you know, layers that I can take on and off different, if I can, maybe even different types of layers of camo, whether that's a heavy camo jacket versus just a long sleeve t-shirt, depending on what the weather might be. Cause in, you know, in late April, early May, that weather can still be <laughs> pretty chilly in the morning. And then by the time we get to the, you know, 10 o'clock hour, it can get, start to get really warm and humid. So, um, just being prepared that way, I think, uh, the day before is, is helpful. And, Potentially what you might be doing the day before you go out to is going out to do something that we call roost a bird. Um, so the night before you go on your morning hunt, you might be going out to see if you can get a Tom to gobble at you from his tree that he is roosting in. So you'll go out around sunset, a um, little bit after sunset and potentially do something like call on an owl hooter call that we that uh, uh, you've seen myself mention in some of our Facebook chats. The, the Tom sometimes will do what we call a shot gobble back at an owl hoot. Um, they do that naturally. They get, uh, it's almost like they're getting taken by surprise and then they gobble back at it. It's sort of this knee jerk reaction for them. So, but hunters might use that to their advantage uh, to try to locate that bird, um, again, the night before in his roost tree so that you have an idea of where maybe you should go in the morning where you, you could try to set up to like you said before, Lena, either intercept him as he's coming into an agricultural field in the morning, or if um, you think you can get really close to that bird when he's on the roost and call to him, even when he's still up there in the morning. And then when he flies down, he's right in your lap. Those are the kinds of things you might be trying to do uh, by quote, roosting a bird at night, uh, the night before. When we get into the late periods of the turkey season uh, and daylight goes really long <laughs> and it's late, into the evening when you maybe would be roosting a bird and you're getting up really early the next day to chase them again, it can be pretty dang exhausting. So <laughs> enjoy the enjoy the middle periods of turkey season where uh, you have a little bit more time to sleep <laughs> and you do have a time you do have time to roost a bird at night and still go home and go to bed and uh, get a good night's sleep before you maybe you are going to get up the next day. What time are you getting up to hunt? So give me the bedtime wake up time there. <laughs> oh, it depends. I mean, it depends on if, if I'm hunting public land and I don't Bill, you're hunting all private, right? If I'm hunting public land, I'm up early to try to get to my spot before somebody else does and get settled in. Um, 
and then in case somebody else even you know once you're out yep. in the in the woods on public land nobody knows where <laughs> maybe nobody knows where you are and so if they come in later and walk in um, I want to just be prepared uh, to be able to shine my flashlight or whatever be settled in um, in case they show up but it depends. I mean, I'm, I still am impacted by my dad thinking we needed to be out there an hour before sunrise or an hour before, before the gobblers start going. Uh, and now I, I usually take it a little bit easier, especially as the, especially as the season drags on. Um, as long as you can get to a spot unseen potentially by those turkeys in the morning. Um, so you could still do that theoretically when they're gobbling, uh, and, they, and dependent they turkeys are finicky you they they generally have a time when they start to gobble before sun before sunrise but um some mornings if it's misty or cloudy or whatever um it's still sort of a mystery to us why toms decide to gobble or not gobble and what time they do so uh, maybe they won't gobble until they are re ready to get down out of the tree and that might be well after sunrise um depending mm -hmm. on the weather so it'll depend on, on what your plan is for the day, what time you want to, what time you're going to get up and try to be settled into your spot. Thank you. Yeah, so once we know where we're taking you, we'll figure out what the travel time is to get there, how much time you think you're going to need to get your stuff out of the vehicle and get organized, how long it's going to take to walk into where it is that you're going to hunt that first part of the morning. So to factor that all in and then you uh, you backtrack and figure out when you need to go to sleep or when you're going to try to go to sleep because you're going to be really excited and it might be hard to fall asleep. You might have to have a little glass of wine before bed. <laughs> I like this hunting. <laughs> it's a prescription. It's not a choice. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we got day before the hunt covered. Mike, Lena, any questions? So gear, snacks, travel time, get your butt to bed, get an alarm set for the morning. I'm good. I, I just want to say a quick thing about snacks, that if you've got stuff like granola bars and crinkly paper where you're trying to open it up, um, that if it's a really still morning or whatever part of the day and um, that sound travels that can potentially spook off a bird. So uh, what I usually do is I unwrap my snacks and I put them like in paper towel. And that way you don't have to worry about making noise when you're open, opening stuff up. Um, same thing for like, you know, gum or cough drops and things like that. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but I was hunting with one of my girlfriends once when we just totally got busted for that. We were watching a fox come in and we had no idea there was this turkey and we're just kind of whispering and laughing and enjoying the fox. And then she goes to open up something, I can't remember what, probably a bag of chips. And we heard the bird flush and just um, caught the tail end of it, literally flying away. So. You know, we had a fox hunting a turkey while we were hunting a turkey, and then we blew the whole thing by making noise at the wrong time. Or you could pull a Bill's dad and have the noisiest snacks and still get animals. Right yeah. Now. My dad is the worst. <laughs> I was, I'm going to take out this chunk, not where I say he's the worst, because he already knows. I tell him that all the time. But that, that snack part, he brings the noisiest bags. I don't understand where this, because he was like, he was the 
the noise movement police when I was a kid. I got the the suffering is optional part of hunting that I'm a big fan of that Peggy supports was not an option for me as a child. So like everything was no, don't do that. Just like crack down on. And now that he's older, like we'll be we'll be prepped for turkey hunting, and all of a sudden I'll hear like those like um, sun chip bags. He'll have like the little pocket bags, and I'll just hear that open. And then just crinkle, crinkle, crinkle all morning long. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Anywho, I, I could rant on that forever. And he still gets birds. I don't understand it. Like, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but uh, anywho, we're off. Can I make a proposal to Mike? Mike, I think we've got a whole uh, fats special dinner here. So one of the drinks, we have to work with David, but one of the drinks will be called the run and gun. And then one of the menu items will be called muffled snacks. So you have to, I want you thinking about what would you, what would you serve as a muffled snack? Okay. Right. Okay. I like it. I'm coming up for that. <laughs> All right. We're, we got a, we got 11 minutes. Lena's, Lena's got a hard uh, stop at nine. So day of the hunt. This is, we've, we've been waiting for this calls. Lena just bought herself some mouth calls. Super pumped for that. Um, Kelly, Peggy, if you could walk us through um, day of the hunt. So we're, we got out there. We listened to Sylvester, Kelly's dad. We're an hour an hour ahead of sun, sunrise. Take it away. What's going on? What's happening? Let's, let's stick with just um, like textbook warning, like what you want to happen. Their birds are – the birds are receptive. They're calling back. Let's go. What's happening? You first, Kelly. Oh, man. <laughs> textbook textbook morning hunt which rarely 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 happens what everybody hopes for you get out there the birds are gobbling their faces off uh and you're in a great spot pretty close to those birds they fly down off the roost and they walk right past you <laughs> or they walk into your decoy setup if you're using decoys they come right into your calling right off the roost you know 10 less than 10 minutes and your hunt is your hunt is essentially complete, um, which is which is has its own pros and cons, right? It can be super exciting. That's what we, you know what I would call a textbook hunt. But then your hunt's over, <laughs> and so I live for mornings where I get to hear those turkeys gobble. So as many mornings as I can get of that is what is what I want. But um, that would be classic. What more frequently happens is those birds are going to gobble. You're going to get really excited. They're going to tease you, and then they will go some other direction away from you <laughs> from where you're hunting and you will just think about them for the next couple hours <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll gobble and they'll, and you'll think maybe, Oh, maybe they're getting closer now, but then they just sort of maybe drift away into some other part of the woods um, on, onto a different property. And then you've got to move to plan B, C, D, E <laughs> for the next little chunk of time that you're going to hunt, or maybe you go home and go to breakfast, um, something like that. But that's often what happens in the right off the roost time is we are, we're always so hopeful as turkey hunters that that's when it's going to happen. That's when you're going to get the bird is right off the roost. And more often than not, you don't, <laughs> you don't get them right off the roost. And then there's sort of this lull that happens in the morning when, so the turkeys all get down on the ground, the hens do some feeding, they do some breeding, and then 
the hens sort of disperse out into if they're going to be if they're nesting then they go do their thing and they sit on their nest and the toms kind of quiet down and start to make their plan for the day of like okay well maybe i'll go hang out here and look for ladies or maybe i'm gonna just stay right here but not say anything and hope the ladies still keep coming around and um so you just kind of you do a lot of listening once you hit that mid-morning period at least i do to just sort of assess okay what are the birds gonna do now that they're on the ground have done a little bit of their romance with each other and what can how can I maneuver around those birds maybe to make another move for the next couple hours or maybe I'm just going to go to breakfast Phil loves to go to breakfast I bet by eight o'clock <laughs> so. so I would add that um as you're walking into your site it's really important to go slow because especially if it's cold and you've got a lot of clothes on you don't want to get all hot and sweaty because once you sit down 20 minutes later you're going to be freezing so um, going in slow both to be quiet and both so you don't get overheated and then once you get in your blind which of if it's a pop-up blind or if you're doing a ground blind with natural materials to get yourself really comfortable and then start taking a look at different areas where it's possible that if a turkey stood there, could you get a shot at it? So you want to, your, your mentor will help you judge distances. Sometimes I will like in a big open field where there's nothing to have a whole lot of reference to when it's still dark, I will pace off the 20, 25, 30 yards and maybe just stick a stick in the ground or maybe it's corn stubble and I can just, you know, bend over one piece of corn that I can keep my eye on. So I know that that's 25 yards. As soon as a turkey is there, that would be a safe distance for this particular hunter to make a, an effective shot. So, in, and then the, the other part about that first thing when you're sitting down after you get comfortable to bring your gun up, if you've got a blind that has, you know, windows in it to be able to make sure that you can comfortably get the gun out the window to make a shot and that you've got enough space in the blind so that when you're trying to, oh my gosh, there's a turkey, I gotta get my gun up so that you're able to do that safely. You know, keep your, keeping your muzzle in a safe direction as you're maneuvering it in that smaller space. And that can be a little bit of a challenge, but if you practice that quietly while it's still dark, while you're waiting for those turkeys to gobble, um, that's, I always find that's a good thing to do to help be prepared. If you haven't ever done it and all of a sudden there's a turkey standing there, it can be a little internal chaos in the blind, like, oh my gosh, look, and um, it doesn't need to be that high anxiety. It's still exciting, <laughs> uh, you know, when the turkey comes in, even if everything is super smooth, your heart's still going to be going. So you want to take all those questions and guesswork about uh, out of that. So we're, we're set up, we walked in slow for um, multiple reasons. We're set up, guns ready, we're comfy. What's next, Kelly? What's happening? Turkey, once again, textbook day, gobbles are coming in hot. What kind of calls are you using and how are, how are you implementing them? Uh, right. Up, if when the turkey's still on the roost, maybe we're doing some really light calling just to let him know that that 
Tom know that we're here. And, um, and if you listen to turkeys long enough, when you get out hunting, you might hear hens doing that same thing. They'll be yelping real loud, lightly, even when they're up in the trees as well, just sort of assessing the, the situation for the morning, telling each other where they're at. Okay. I'm going to go fly down here. See you later. All those kinds of things are happening. And so you're trying to mimic those behaviors. Um, and so if I'm trying to call real quiet in the morning, I don't know, I might use, I can use, call pretty quietly on my mouth call, Lena, um, depending on how much tongue pressure you're putting on that diaphragm call, I can call pretty lightly on that. And then I don't have to move. It, not moving in the morning too is I think pretty critical. If a Tom is up in a tree, especially when we don't have any foliage yet, he can see down to you depending on how close you are to that bird. And so you don't want to make a ton of movement when he's still up there if, he, if you think he can see you. Um, so I often will use a mouth call, but I can call pretty quiet on just about anything else. Quiet, intermittent calling in the morning until things, until you can sort of sense when the turkeys are starting to get wound up in the morning, depending on, uh, depending on the mood they're in for the day. And I just sort of let their mood dictate how much calling I'm going to do, what kind of calling I'm going to do and mimic a lot of the sounds that I'm hearing, at least for the first little while of the morning. And then as the day wears on, maybe I'll get more aggressive depending on, depending on what I feel like doing. But this pattern of like, you know, hearing gobbles, making a plan on a turkey, getting into a spot, waiting for him to show up happens over and over and over again as you hunt throughout the day. The morning time is just kind of this glorious, beautiful time where you think you have it figured out. And then the rest of it is sort of, you know, you're making a plan sort of as you go. Uh, but it's all a lot of the same line of thinking. You're trying to find a, a bird that's being cooperative, is gobbling, um, that maybe you can call in. Or maybe you just have a really good idea where those the pattern of those turkeys for the day. You know that they're going to be at 1 p.m., this bird struts in this field, and you can just get in, slip in there around noontime and, and have them right in your lap um, without doing any calling, um, which is another, you know, just as just as sporting of a way to go after a turkey is calling one in um, if, if that's your goal. So, but being able to interact with the bird is always super fun too. Um, so listen, I'm spending enough time learning the calling. I'm going to need that to work. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, so, so this thing, let's talk about this thing. Like, okay. So I've been watching videos and, but they don't tell you like really how it feels in your mouth. So you put this thing in your mouth. Man, <laughs> right it's not i mean it's not food so it's uh yeah weird to have in your mouth <laughs> but i thought it i i literally i'm concerned about efficiency and moving through the forest so if i can learn to do this it'd be awesome but so far I, if i'm i make a lot of spit i here's what i've done i've tickled my tongue like crazy i've made a lot of spit and then i sound like something that's dying that's what I've, where i've gotten so far that's perfect <laughs> I think, Lena, what to, it's, it does have to be, your call can be somewhat uncomfortably close to your soft palate in the back. Yeah, you just got to do, you just got to keep blowing it until you can make any sound. Any sound is productive when you're learning how to use these things. But what I try to keep in mind too is that the back part of your tongue is sort of what holds that call up to the top of the rip of your mouth. Oh. So when I say tongue pressure, I mean like, not the tip of your tongue. It's actually the back part of your tongue that's holding that call sort of in place so that you don't spit as much. And then you're just blowing the air. Oh, that's a good tip. <laughs> 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 and then you just no, practice, practice, practice. 
Nobody says this. You have to breathe in to breathe out. I'm just saying that's a critical piece of data. A lot of diaphragm pressure. I mean, just if you've ever been trained in, in singing, it's that diaphragm pressure that comes from, you know, from the chest that really okay. gets that fast pulse of air across that call. So it's not just like you breathing out <laughs> naturally, it's diaphragm quick pressure that, that helps get that air, the appropriate level of air across the reads of that call. Very surprised by the tongue tickle. It was like, wow. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna make it through this. <laughs> so, um... I think a nice alternate to the mouth call is also just a basic push pin call. I don't know if you guys looked at all the different calls last week or. I we did not look I, at a push pin. I, yeah. I, yeah, that was one that I don't have. Um, they tend to be really easy for beginners to use. You can do soft clucks. You can do purrs pretty. Awesome. Nice. Um, you can. They're, they tend to not be very loud. So when you're yelping, if it's windy, that might not carry very well. Um, you can also use two push pin calls together to make the sound of turkeys fighting. And sometimes that will cause like a boss Tom to come running in to go, all right, what's going on here and get involved in that. So I've actually had that work a couple of times, not harvested a bird in the situation, but got birds running in by making fighting calls. So um, I, I really kind of a, am a fan of those push pin calls for that reason. Not just exclusively, you have to you know, integrate the other calls as well because you never know what's gonna turn somebody on. Um, but I think those are a good option. So many life mottos. <laughs> so many life mottos. <laughs> All right, Lena, it's 902. Uh, I guess we'll let you go. Do you have any last things? Last things, or are you good? Hashtag, you never know when you're going to turn somebody on. There you go. Bye, gang. <laughs> nice Bye, to see Lena. you. Bye. <laughs> All right, crew. Uh, Mike? Questions, concerns? I don't believe so. I mean, it's getting close. It's getting exciting. That's right. That's right. We're going to get boots on the ground next week, pattern some shotguns. Uh, we've got Day of the Hunt calling. Uh, what else should we wrap up with, Kelly and Peggy? Maybe real quick, since we have the chef himself here, um, if you're fortunate enough to get a bird, uh, what can you be doing and just make sure that the you're doing the best you can to uh, have a quality meat, have a quality protein um, after the fact? I can I can tell you what I do. I mean, I in the past we have we have plucked whole birds and 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 cooked them that way. I tend now to just um, breast them out, take off thighs and legs. Um, but I'm sure Bill has other ways that are that are better at utilizing more of the more of the meat and, and certainly the organ meats that, um, than I do. But I mean, I try to process the bird as quickly as I can get that bird cooled down, um, slowly cool the meat down. And then, uh, if I'm going to eat it right away, put it in the fridge, if I'm going to eat it later, put it in the freezer, but trying to get as many of those feathers off as I can, just since they're not very tasty to have a feather in your mouth. and, uh, and getting as much of the shot out of that bird, if you have any, and, like the breast tissue, um, getting it out right away when you can see those, when you can see those wound channels. So, but 
I, I would love to hear if Mike has any other recommendations for how to, um, you know, what we could be doing to make sure that we have a quality product in the end from a poultry species. Um, I mean, I've not had to pluck a bird, so that's, that's going to be a new uh, thing for me. And I, I do know that uh, the feathers are not fun to eat <laughs> um, based on getting some, some ducks that were poorly processed before. Uh, but uh, yeah, breasting out, um, I mean, getting as much meat off the bone. Uh, and if we can utilize the bone as well, um, you can make nice stocks that way um, that that really helps uh, with using as much of the bird as we can. Um, yeah, coach likes the, the awful parts, um, which it's understandable. There's some good, good tasty things. I'm not a gizzard fan, but uh, give me the rest of it. <laughs> Bill's, been, uh, Bill's been getting me on the, yeah, the organ meats. I, I don't know, Bill, if you do any um, skin on, if you're, I mean, you probably, you use whole carcasses much more effectively than I do. I don't do any like skin on breast meat, skin on thighs and legs. Um, like some people might do with waterfowl or something. I don't, I don't know if you, if that's possible with the turkey with a wild turkey or not but i don't typically do those i usually take skin off and then take out the meat for all of the portions i'm keeping yeah um i like i love aging birds um which is extremely difficult with a large tom or a jake i don't have i don't have the the setup yet to properly age those um, and I found the skin is like super just rubbery, like, um, on those. I agree. So I've, yeah, I've, I'll skin, uh, Tom or a Jake. Uh, I usually go for the wing meat as well. Cause there's usually a decent amount of wing meat on those. So I'll, I'll skin all the way up there. Uh, I've made my dad, uh, he's, he dabbled in taxidermy back in the day, uh, when he was in college. So he's shown me how to skin them so you can make like a turkey rug basically. So I've, we've done a few of those, uh, which makes getting all the meat really easy because you have the whole carcass. The skin is obviously removed, but then you can piece off the wings. You can uh, spatchcock the the rib cage and whatnot, because uh, there is a ton of little ton of meat uh, mm -hmm. on the carcass, especially on those bigger birds. Hens, uh, I've when when I chase fall hens uh, with the dog, they're usually the jennies are substantially smaller. They're like large pheasant size sometimes so those birds it's a little easier to age and i've i've plucked uh breasts on those i've plucked the legs but still with those i usually piece them out and then age them um gutting them to cool the meat cool the carcass quickly and then uh i've i've eaten the skin on the smaller birds in the fall and that's been that's been really good um i'm excited to hopefully get some birds for chef and see what he does because the crew over there, they, you, you do some magic. I've had, um, some venison from them. Shout out for that truffle Mac with the, the venison. That was fantastic. And then, uh, bear bear. They've, they, the bear hams I have chef's mm -hmm. team over there took care of those. Those are fantastic. I just, we had our, uh, community challenge at the gym party last night and I served, smoked bear sliders and uh, most of them are city folk 
like <laughs> venison a deer eating a deer to them is like crazy and i've made uh squirrel chili for them and we had the bear sliders last night and i would say 90 percent of people were surprised at how good it tasted and how not gamey it was and this is you know we're talking about a bear a bear butt cheek here so um you're not going to get more more uh wild or potentially gamey than that and chef whatever you whatever you and the crew did over there uh it was it was great people loved it yeah yep brining those those big cuts and then chef put it on the the heavy smoker yeah, I've done, something I did not do early on in my turkey hunting days was brine birds uh, or brine the meat, and that has been really helpful. Yeah, um, it really it really helps yeah. get get some uh, flavor in there and uh, help retain the moisture. Yep, as well. Tur so wild turkey can be super dry, super <laughs> gross <laughs> if you are not patient with it. So yeah, brining yep. it's on. Yeah, yeah, in injecting with like a marinade under the skin works really well too um especially for a younger bird that's not going to be like a big tough old tom and then the only whole bird i've ever done and the only reason i didn't do it again is because it's just so much work but we did pluck a like a 14 pound jake and did the injection and then did it in a cooking bag and uh, my then mother-in-law who didn't really eat a lot of meat just raved about it and then my then father-in-law went out and bought himself a turkey gun with a red dot scope and six decoys and he had never hunted turkeys before he went and bought the whole deal because he liked the turkey so well that he was determined he was going to shoot a turkey so it was wonderful for a treat but it it's like i would i would definitely do it again. I would help somebody if they had their first turkey and they had their heart set on a whole bird because a lot of people do want that whole bird, but it's tricky. As you all know, it's tricky to pluck a bird and bake it with the skin on and have it turn out well. But that's one thing that worked for me. Cooking is a whole nother series of podcasts. Oh yeah, we'll we'll definitely be diving into those uh, post season, um, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so I I've shared some wild game with Lena. I think she talked about it previously in the podcast the wild turkey paella she made. I've given woodcock, rabbit, bear, venison, um, and touching on the the gamey aspect of it, uh, like like Lena had mentioned earlier with the friend of hers that had asked if she was actually going to eat the birds because there is a large chunk of the population that hunts and doesn't eat the entire animal if any of it because of this uh this idea of gaming what that is you know the flavor of of a wild animal is it because it was improperly handled after after the kill uh what was the animal eating i'm a huge uh proponent of that especially with like the bear i've had so many so many people Bear meat tastes awful. Bear fat tastes awful. And it's, um, yeah, if the bear was eating, or raccoon is a big one. Uh, I know Kelly with uh, Artemis Great Lakes Women of the Woods event, people were talking about how terrible raccoon tastes, or they've had bad raccoon. There's the, the glands in it, of course, but also is that if that raccoon's been eating garbage or 
like super crappy bear bait, like the classic donuts, candy, and all that, of course the animal is going to taste terrible. I've skinned a few of those animals, and they, they smell like uh, rotten food. They'll, they'll smell like a dumpster because, you know, they've been eating stuff we would normally throw away. Whereas if, like my, my bear, my bear, bear bait was apples, peanut butter, fermented maple syrup, and cherries. And that bear, everyone, even when we were skinning it, the taxidermist even made a comment how uh, it smelled good. Like it wasn't like he's he's obviously skinned a lot of bears and a lot of them smell awful. Um, could be the age of the bear once again the glands where it's living. But I am a big fan of like what the animal's been eating is also going to impact the quality of uh, how it tastes. I don't know what everyone else's thoughts are. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with you on that. I'm wondering though, did you have to take out a loan to bait that bear? He must be a. <laughs> so, so, uh, I don't want to give away all my secrets, but a, I know where a lot of apple trees are on public land. So that was just me going to these areas with buckets, um, fermented maple syrup. I happen to know a lot of people with maple syrup and a batch or two will go bad or it'll get forgotten, set around. Uh, so that was hooked up for free. Uh, favors, barter system. Same with the cherries. Uh, knowing people in the local food scene. There's a lot of food waste. And I, by waste, I mean things that just typically wouldn't be used by people, right? Like you and I wouldn't be eating these things after they've been processed. But it's still, the end product is still food especially for like a bear. A bear's not going to care if it looks weird or ugly. Um, there's a lot of these things that we're just wasteful about because it doesn't look like something you would see on the the you know the weird cartoon fruit pictures. So, uh, no, I my bear bait, uh, I'm trying to think. I bought the peanut butter. And peanut butter, if you buy in bulk, isn't really that expensive. Um, but, yeah, that was, that, was, that was it. The only thing I bought was the peanut butter. Well, that's awesome. The amount of work that you put into it is the biggest component of it. And so you've earned that bear a million times over, it seems to me. And I know I can tell from your Facebook posts with your food that you're enjoying it a million times over as well. And that's a really important part of the whole hunt. Definitely. Definitely. Mike, what do you got to say about uh animals taste and what they've been eating uh i definitely think that affects what they what they've had you know especially we've um done some cuttings of like uh grass-fed beefs and things like that and you can you can tell even on that commercial level like the the flavor profile is different and uh, yeah it's it, it has to affect the way it tastes the nutrition that it's getting is the nutrition it becomes. So, yeah. Go ahead, Peggy. Go ahead, Peggy. I was just going to say quickly, even with farm raised animals, like early on, 20 some years ago in my hobby farm career, I did raise chickens, heritage breed chickens. They were delicious, kind of like, um, I just wanted to get out of that. And then you guys know Tommy Enright from Black Rabbit Farm? He's like right across the highway from me. He does the most fabulous chickens. I'm like, I'll just leave it to the professional. And I had asked him at one point, like, 
wow, what do you feed those birds? The meat is just sweet and beautiful. And he told me it's a mix of his own what he feeds, but that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, I felt like the birds that I raised, I got really good food for, but they were nowhere near as good as his. And so uh, it just, it absolutely makes a difference what the animal eats is, um, it, it's gonna either make or break it on your plate when you go to eat it. Pop open that gizzard on a bird if you get one and on a turkey and see what they're eating. And uh, it's interesting to see too, how that even changes if you depend, changes over the course of the season, depending on if you get an early harvested bird versus a late harvested bird. I love seeing what those things are eating. I think you'll be surprised. So they're, they just are voracious peckers. <laughs> just they're eating at pretty much anything they can put in their mouth. Um, and so it's just fun to see. Agreed. All right. Well, we'll definitely come back to kitchen, kitchen talk, uh, post season. So Kelly, Peggy, are there, what do we need to wrap up with? Well, we could be here all day, you know, because <laughs> yeah, some of us, some of us have to go to work, Bill. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just excited to be able to get to the shooting range and to wander around and look for turkey sign and talk about uh, how the actual hunt is going to go. So we've got next week and the following week to do that, right? Yep. Okay. Super excited. Boom. Yeah, have a blast. Enjoy the spring woods and the pulse of nature across oh, yeah. the next month and a half. It's the best. I mean, it's unlike any other. The fall, the fall will sort of lasts forever. It feels like oh, maybe not, but it goes on forever. Yep. And then uh, the spring happens in a blink. So enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, you too, Kelly. Let us know how your turkey season goes. Yeah, you bet. I'll share plenty of stuff. And maybe, I don't know, Bill, I've got I've got a zone. You have you guys have zone three period four tags? Yep. So do I. Because so, you know, all I, right. bought, I bought too many tags. So we'll see. Maybe we'll, all get, maybe we'll all get out a little bit together. That would be fun. Yeah, we'll be hunting together in spirit. That's yeah. fun. Awesome. Cool. Well, Chef Mike, you got anything before we wrap it up? And then uh, we're going to get out in the field next week. I don't believe so. I'm excited. Boots on the ground. Let's get outside. Perfect. Agreed. Uh, everybody that followed along, thank you to the mentors. I hope this was helpful. Mentees, same thing. And then uh, hopefully everyone stays safe outside and enjoys spring. See you later. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thank Come you, guys. It's been fun.